chapter 15 as well. Jonah chapter number 1 and Jonah, excuse me, John 15. Jonah 1 and John 15. If you'll stand with me, we'll read John 15 as we stand. And then if you'll find your place in Jonah 1 when, we, when we're seated. John chapter 15 and verse number 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Go to John chapter 16, just page or two over in verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, notice this next phrase, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you that you are a God that can be with us here tonight. And God, at the same time, you can renew and encourage our pastor and his wife as they have a moment away. And I pray that you would do just that. Lord, you know that our prayer today has been twofold. That God, you would be honored. And Lord, that someone would be helped. Lord, we ask for your presence and your power to be manifested in a way that only you can. And your will to be accomplished in the service. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And you can find your place in Jonah chapter 1, and we'll come to that familiar passage momentarily. Tonight I have a message on my heart that has been a little bit of a struggle to move from heart to paper, to develop an outline. And I want to introduce it with some real transparency. I think sometimes we as people and Christians and God's people, we need to know that we're not alone in the fight. and that We're not the only ones that struggle. But I have, in my personal life, lived captive for years. For years. And I don't believe that's an understatement. I've been imprisoned for many years within my own heart. In spirit. If I had to guess tonight, I would say that in a group setting tonight, there are other people that will relate to some of the things I'll say. This thing that has held me captive has cost me my joy. It has literally robbed me of my joy, imprisoned me to the point that I would have a loss of joy. And when I reference that, I mean a joy of giving, the joy of helping, the joy of serving. This thing that would hold me captive in my life for years would literally at times move me to a state of paranoia and just being paranoid about making sure I'm doing the right things. It's caused a loss of joy of those that are close to me, such as my wife and my children, my family. Because regardless, it will affect those that you're closest to. 
it has led to stress, which has in turn affected my spiritual health, my emotional health, and my physical health. Now God has been the God that He promises He will be through it all. God has never once not been on time and not done exactly what's been needed. And God has begun the process of moving, helping me to move away from that imprisonment in my heart and in my spirit. But deeper than just moving away from it, but the rooting out of it and cleaning this out. It's a continual process and I'm going to, in a transparent moment, it's not complete in my life tonight. It is something that has a tendency to creep in, creep in, and to sneak back in over and over. The moment that you think you're making some headway with it, something pops up and it's there again. It's had a strong enough hold on my life that there has been a day in my life that I would open one of the drawers to my chest of drawers and my wife would have found the need to have found a paragraph or so to print out and to lay in there for me to read to help me to see the imprisonment that was in my life. It's a small word. But it carries and takes away so very much. If left alone and untreated and ignored, it discourages. It depresses. And it destroys. Tonight, I want to come with the message that God has laid on my heart because I believe this thing, that many of God's people, we are imprisoned and our lives are being governed by a little word called guilt. Tonight I want to preach a message entitled Moving from Guilt to Comfort. Moving from Guilt to Comfort. See, we as God's people, we have a great struggle in our lives. As we endeavor and our goal and we strive to live right, be right, do right, and to sum it all up, to please the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives and our habits and all that we do, we have a great struggle of discerning between guilt and conviction. A great struggle discerning between guilt and conviction. And I want to say that there is a fine line between the two. And it would be easy to be confused and to sometimes misinterpret Guilt for conviction and conviction for guilt. I want to go to Jonah. I want to go through his story tonight. Because I believe God can show us principally from Jonah's life some of the things that will help you and I to identify guilt, to see conviction, to understand conviction, and to discern between the two. But then, ultimately to move 
to that place of comfort that we ended in John, as we opened in John, talking about the comforter. So first of all tonight, I want to look at this word called guilt. Join me there in Jonah chapter 1. And it's a familiar story. We'll read part of chapter 1, and then we'll begin to look at some of the things in terms of guilt. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. Notice little g God. And cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and he was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so, be that God, notice the capital G, will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So, that, so they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. I want to point out a few things in reference to guilt. There's some, just some simple truths, nothing real fancy. But when we're talking about guilt, and we're trying to understand the captive hold it has on so many lives, I mean, one of the things we, you and I have to understand is that guilt is invoked by others. Guilt is invoked by others. Look there at verse number 7 again. It talks about them casting the lots. And it says, the lots fell upon Jonah. Casting lots in that time was their way of figuring out who the problem was. The comforter wasn't here yet. The Holy Spirit to discern. And so the lots would be cast. And, and, and we would relate it this way. The short straw. When you're, when you're drawing straws. Whoever got the short straw got the sorry end of the deal. And Jonah, this lot would fall to Jonah. In other words, the guilt, he became guilty in that moment through a man-made system of casting lots. And so when we are battling guilt, guilt is identified by the fact that generally it's invoked by somebody else. Jonah's guilt in this setting was done by the casting of lots. Isn't it something when God is blessing in your life? How many times have we been afraid to vocalize it because we feel guilty how many times have we been afraid to brag on Jesus because he brought a blessing and, and I mean a, a blessing in terms of a, even a physical possession or, or whether a spiritual blessing any of the two God's hands are not tied he can bless and work as he sees fit and we've been afraid to talk about it because we feel guilty because somebody else didn't have it or the comments that we'll hear. And we allow that guilt to rob us of the joy that God wants us 
to have and to enjoy. But then not only do I think we find that guilt is invoked by others, guilt is invoked by self. If you notice in verses 5 and 6, let me back up just a moment. When we're dealing with this thing of guilt and convictions, I want to say this, it starts with sin or wrong in our life. When we do something wrong or we're out of line with the Word of God, But sometimes wrong gets blurred when we allow man's opinion into our lives. And we're not using the Word of God as our check and as our guide. And so it can be invoked by self. This would have began when Jonah ran from the Lord's command. And here is one of the great differences. When we're talking about guilt being invoked by self, guilt comes when we try to reason with man instead of repent with God. We reason with man instead of trying to repent with God and acknowledging our wrongdoing with our Heavenly Father instead of outwardly with people around us. And so it becomes... Look here in verses 5 and 6. We read there in that passage, these men, this ship is about... It's in a storm to the point that it's about to break. And Jonah's downstairs snoozing. How in the world running from God, running from the call of God on his life and what he's supposed to be doing, he's on a ship, and it's in a storm like you wouldn't believe, and he's sleeping. And the shipmaster says, what are you doing? Pray! Pray to something! Pray to your God! He'll salvage us. How in the world? I read that, and I thought, how can Jonah be sleeping? Jonah already knew the guilt in his own life. He already knew he belonged in this water. Jonah already knew that the storm was because of him. He goes later and tells them, the guys, throw me over. He already knew. So him sleeping through it, what did he have to lose if the ship broke while he was sleeping? He just ended up where he was going to be anyways. Right? You and I, we probably wouldn't volunteer to sign up to be thrown into the water. So Jonah's sleeping through saying, well, maybe, just maybe the ship will come through the storm and I'll have a chance of surviving anyways. That guilt, he was sleeping that away, if you will. And so it's invoked by self. Then verses 12 and 13, he comes and he tells them to throw him over. He knew the solution to the problem. He said, this is happening to you because of me. Throw me over. Then I came to the question, why didn't he just jump out of the boat? Why take the time to say, listen guys, it's my fault. Throw me out of the ship and you'll be okay. Why not come up from downstairs sleeping and say, okay God, it's bound to happen and just go ahead and jump on into the water and let things take their course. Because if he could, and he succeeded, by placing guilt on the mariners. Notice verse 13. What did they do? Nevertheless, Jonah has already told them, cast me out. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempest against them. And then they went and cried to the Lord to forgive them, and, and to, this was his doings, and they were just trying to salvage what they could. And so 
Jonah was able to play that guilt trip. To stay on the ship just a little while longer. Finally, the decision would come. They tried, but they did not want to cast Jonah earth. No more than you and I would. No more than any human that values life would want to do that. Then I want to tell you this, that guilt is imprisoning. It is imprisoning. Verses 15 and 16. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Just like that. Jonah's out of the ship. The sea has now settled. But notice verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Notice, God's moving on. He said, the Lord had prepared, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. The Lord did not have an alt with those mariners. But those men had been imprisoned by guilt and the guilt that would come into their life. Jonah's made his decision to be where he was in life. And those men would make the hard decision to cast him overboard. And yet that guilt would continue to be with them even after everything had settled. How many of you have ever made a hard decision in life? Whether on the job, play, dealing with somebody. And it came out well. It ended right. But you walked away just wondering and questioning and just feeling guilty. I'd say most anybody has that's encountered people at all. So they were so bothered to the point that they made a sacrifice to the Lord even after it was settled. Then I want to say this, that guilt is driven by fear. Guilt is driven by fear. If you look in verse number 5, it says they were afraid. And they began to throw the wares on the ship. They began to throw them overboard. Everything they had to lighten the load and try to salvage this thing in the storm. They were afraid. The storm had brought fear. And I wondered tonight if they weren't saying, man, I hate to throw my, my luggage overboard this is a good amount of food we need for this. And, but inside they said, but if we don't, we're all going to perish. And the guilt of looking out for each other and the fear. How many times have we been governed by that fear as a Christian? Fear of what the world will say. The fear that we may lose our job. The fear that we may upset somebody and how many times have we moved out of guilt driven by fear so somebody's feelings didn't get hurt and in the end we ended up hurt all because of guilt it's this time of year but tonight how many parents sit or people and family members sit in guilt Wondering what to do for Christmas gifts. And people will be tempted to run into debt rather than just accept the boundaries out of fear and guilt. It's motivated by fear. But then I want to say that guilt has a cost. When you look at the end of this, all those that were on the ship had lost their peace. Up to this point in the story, the mariners, 
They lost not only their physical possessions, their wares that they had cast over. They had threw a man overboard. Can you only imagine their talk? I wonder what happened to Jonah. I wonder what's going on. And that, that, that peace that had been so robbed from the guilt they had in their life. And I am burnt out with guilt, just to be honest with you. As I would say, most anybody and everybody that has battled guilt would say. Guilt of weight loss. The guilt of not being able to buy what you want for somebody. The guilt that you can't do what you once could do. The guilt of trying to provide everything for your family. So the word guilt, we all understand the meaning. We've all lived it. But I want to take you to a second word, and that's the word conviction. Conviction. I want you to look at verse number 17 with me. Verse, chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now go to chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about, the weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. The word conviction is interesting. If you take your Bible and do a search, you will not find the word conviction in the Bible. So it's an interesting word because it is a very prevalent word in Christianity. And it is a word that we use to just explain a biblical principle. Not many people, when you say the word conviction, cannot comprehend or understand to some degree what you're talking about. It's like our word rapture. It's not in the Bible. But we'll use that word and people will know we're talking about the second coming of Christ. And so, it's a word used to explain a principle that we see that God just chastise His own. We've noticed in chapter 1 the things that were happening there on the ship. Though the wind, the one, thing, one of the things that God sent into Jonah's life in the storm, but a lot was taking place on the ship that man could have a lot of say in. They, those mariners made the decision to throw the, the supplies overboard. The shipmaster made the decision to say, hey, I'm missing somebody to go down and wake Jonah and ask him to pray to God. They, as men, made the decision to cast lots to find out why this had fallen on them. So there was a lot of things in the control of the men. They were trying to steer the ship. And yet we come to verse 17. And the phrase... Now the Lord. Now the Lord. 
as you listen to Jonah describe where he was at, he refers to it as the belly of hell. You can hear him describe some internal struggles as he talks about his soul. You hear him describe the weeds wrapped around his head. He's in a very uncomfortable position. But I believe here we see there's things happening to Jonah that is out of his control. He had no choice which great fish would swallow him up. He had no choice that that would happen at all. And the Lord had prepared a great fish. So discerning guilt and conviction, I'd like to say this, guilt is from man. Guilt is from man. Whether it's an outward man or it's an inward man. But I want to say this, conviction is from the Lord. Real conviction is from the Lord. The Lord prepared the well, the great fish. So when we're discerning this thing, and we're motivated out of guilt of what somebody else will say or think or how to make somebody else happy, and we're not motivated out of the, mo- the motive to say, God, how can I please you in my life? We may be governed by guilt rather than conviction. Guilt is going to leave you with many questions. Guilt is going to have you asking things. Did I upset them? Do you think they're mad at me? Guilt is going to have you asking, did I give enough in the offering? Guilt will have you questioning, did I serve enough? Did I help enough? Did I go far enough? Did I do enough? And, and you're going to be left in a great state of question. Conviction will lead you to peace, not questions. Conviction will lead you to peace. Conviction brings relief because it brings hope of correcting wrong. So you can be liberated and be free. Conviction stems from disobedience. When we know truth and we don't do it. Jonah ended up in this place because of his disobedience to God. See, on the ship, we don't read where Jonah called on God. The shipmaster said, call on your God. The next thing is we're casting lots. Did Jonah say, you don't understand me, him's not on good terms. I'm running. Who knows? And so they were all motivated and they're trying to correct the wrong without involving God. See, when you and I are put in a place of discomfort, it reminds us where we belong. It reminds us of the need to get right. Conviction gives us the ability to get right. Guilt prevents us from getting right. But conviction leads to hope, leads to peace, leads to a place of truth. Guilt can be governed by preferences or opinion. Conviction is governed by truth. How many have ever been on a guilt trip? You don't ever come see me anymore. I wish you'd come visit me some. Guilt. Guilt. 
preferences, opinions. After all I've done for you, the guilt. Conviction is governed by truth. Conviction is the time in our life when we are presented and reminded of a truth that we know we're not abiding by. It's that time when we're able, but we just don't want to get ready for church. Conviction combines with, hey, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Truth. Truth. Governed by truth. In light of guilt. So if if you have to choose by living a life of guilt, and in light of that guilt, but you can move to a place of conviction, I want to say this, that in light of guilt, conviction is liberating. I'd like for you to hear me out. In light of guilt, so in comparison to guilt, conviction is liberating to the Christian. However, I do believe there's a place we as Christians can live and it doesn't have to be continual conviction. I believe conviction is the tool that helps us to remain in this place and to live in this place and that leads us to our third and final point. Comfort. Comfort. When Jonah pleaded with God the, the whale would throw him up and he went on in to Nineveh to do what God had originally told him to do. God worked. Jonah's walking through and, and, and preaching and God's doing His work. He, God moved. Jonah's no longer in the belly of the whale. He's no longer in the storm. I'm not sure that Jonah ever arrived to a a complete place of comfort. He was angry at God after he saved the Ninevites. And he told God, God asked him, doest thou well to be angry? He said, I'm doing well enough to die. Basically came to that point. So I don't know if Jonah ever reached that place of comfort that I believe we today have the ability to live in. And when I talk about comfort, I'm not talking about free to do whatever we want. I'm not talking about live in sin because God's going to forgive you. I'm talking about a place of comfort in knowing we're trying to live right, be right, do right, and listen to God. Perhaps the word we could use as a synonym would be confidence. Confidence that we're trying our very best to obey the Holy Spirit of God in our life. A place of comfort. In John, the Holy Spirit is described to us as a comforter. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, from the Father will send in my, uh, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you. Notice that, peace. Not guilt. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither... Let it be afraid. Fear. Neither let it be afraid. Peace. The comforter. I want to say tonight, comfort for the Christian will come from the Holy Spirit of God. 
The Bible's very clear. Here in John, he took over about a course of three chapters. The, the, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, is referred to as the Spirit of Truth and the Comforter. And we can live in comfort. We often, we hear the Holy Spirit, very rarely do I recall hearing many times, we need Holy Spirit comfort. Most of the time, we need Holy Spirit conviction. Holy Ghost conviction. But in reality, in reality, the conviction is from the truth that the Holy Spirit reminds us of. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is not the convictor. He's reminding you of the convicting truth. Listen, John 16, 13, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. So when He shows up in our life, the Holy Spirit is there to comfort us, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit comes from understanding truth, truth being revealed to us, us responding to truth, and us getting right by truth. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy truth is the Word of God. So we are sanctified in the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit comes by the time we'll use the same example. Maybe we're not feeling up to getting ready for church. We, we we're reminded of what the Bible says. The Word of God. And the comfort comes when we accept the truth. Because then we have peace because we're moving to do right. So we can live in comfort when we live in obedience. We're allowed a life of comfort through the Holy Spirit of God when we live in obedience. When we give as God prompts us to. When we witness as God prompts us to. When we love as God prompts us to. In thinking about this message, I, I thought about it this way. It's very similar if you'll think to your own bed. I know me. I have the logical sign. Why make it up? Because I'm going to mess it up again tonight. How many ever thought that way? Yeah, every teenager, I'm sure. But, um, <clears throat> but I, there's something I enjoy about getting into that bed when it's made. I enjoyed it. If for whatever reason, it's more comfortable. The sheet's nice and even. It's not twisted. It's not moved over to one side. But the times, and we have, we're humans. We have climbed into our bed, it not being made, and we're, you're, you're laying there, you're jerking, trying to get your corner, and your wife's like, that's my corner, give it back over here. And your, your sheet's down between the footboard and the box spring, and you're trying to pull it up with your toes and get it situated. And it's just a fight, and you spend 30 minutes when, if you had made your bed that morning, how much more comfortable would it have been? I mean, here's the thing. The room didn't change. The bed the physical bed did not change. What changed was our decision not to make the bed. And we then became uncomfortable. It wasn't encouraging to us. When you walk into a kitchen, if you clean it up the night before, it's more encouraging to wake up and see that rather than wake up to a pile of dishes. And it's all, the kitchen didn't change. The environment all around us didn't change. Our decision changed. And we're allowed to live in comfort when we make decisions to live in obedience to God. 
How many times have I been walking through a store or down the street or, or wherever and God prompts me, give them a church track, invite them to church, tell them about Jesus. And I go, but Lord, I'm on lunch. i got to hurry. i only got a few minutes. Lord, they look mean. And I go away with a great discomfort in my soul. A lack of peace. We can live in comfort when we live in obedience. Then I want to say a life of comfort takes faith. If you remember, we said guilt is driven by fear. This life is driven by faith. So what kind of faith? Faith to know that the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Faith to know that the Holy Spirit of God indwells every believer and guides us. Faith to trust God that when you try to obey, even when you miss the mark, but when you obey, and you're doing your very best, and your motive is to obey and please the Lord Jesus Christ, that He'll handle the guilt and all that around. The guilt from others. Then I want to say freedom comes with this comfort. Freedom. It's not an imprisonment. It's freedom from man's opinions. It's freedom from the inward guilt, the outward guilt. It's not freedom of pride. It's a bless God, I don't care what they say. It's freedom that says, I'm not going to let what they say bother me because I'm trying to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. I made this statement, in light of guilt, conviction is liberating. But I want to say this, in light of conviction, comfort is liberating. If I have to choose between guilt and conviction, I want conviction. Because conviction is going to bring truth, which in turn I have the choice to at least make it better. Boy, but if I have to choose between a life of conviction, or I can live with the comfort of the Holy Spirit of God, that's what I want. We know the truth, we do the truth, and we trust the truth maker. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. To live in the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet tonight.